0: faithful? You all agree with that? The Lord is faithful? That's when you say amen or you hallelujah or glory to God. The Lord is faithful. Even when you don't see things happening, He is still faithful. God is still at work. I'm amazed how He's working in the sidelines, whatever you want to call it. And we're just believing God, don't see anything with our eyes, but yet He is still working. And that's why He calls us to have faith, to trust Him. Amen? All right, interesting chapter tonight. We're only going to get half a chapter. We're going to get the first 14 verses of chapter 12. We covered last uh, the whole chapter last week, uh, chapter 11 of Proverbs. So let's pray. Father... Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the greatness and the might and the power and the ability of your Holy Spirit to speak to us through your word. Your word has been speaking to your people for thousands of years, and it still has that anointing that rests upon the rhema word, the the spoken word, the word that you speak to us in our hearts as we trust you, love you, hear your word, and let you speak to us. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging and strengthening your people tonight. Help me, Lord, as I preach the word. I acknowledge you and your power and your ability. I need you. I need your help. And Lord, I just ask you that you would be able to speak to the people what you want to say and what we need to hear. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're going to talk about chapter 12 of Proverbs, but before we do that, I want to talk to you just a minute about standards. Standards. Um, What would you say... Uh, what do you think it means to live your life according to God's standards? What does that phrase mean to you? Anybody want to take that, uh, take a chance with that? What does it mean? Yes, Larry? Guiding set of principles. Okay. Okay, I like that. I like that. Anybody else? Yes. Nadine? His way of doing things. Interesting. I like that too. What does it mean to live your life according to God's standards? Yes. Following the Ten Commandments? Okay, that would be probably a portion of it because the Ten Commandments certainly reflect His standards. I think that would be a portion. Penny, you had your hand up. What do you think it means? Hmm. A hearer and a doer of his word. I like that too. Yes, Cherry, what do you think? Living a clean life. Okay. All right. In today's world, a lot of people look inward for their standards. They basically, the best description I have is that they move through life's choices and they make those life choices based upon what they believe inwardly is the best at that time it's almost like they go through life making life choices based upon cost-benefit from their viewpoint. What does it cost me? What does it benefit me? Is this good? Is this bad? What do I think about this? And it may be one thing at one point. It may be something else at another point. They basically, you know, even going all the way back to the book of Judges where it says every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's kind of where we've kind of come full circle. But God's plan is that we would have a set of standards that is not inward but outside. It's God's word. Jesus is the standard. The word of God is the standard. His ways, his laws, his commandments, they're the standard, and we order our life according to his ways, something that is co- is on the outside, not the whims and the dictates and the way I feel, the way I think. If it's inward, then it's very subjective. It's going to change. It's going to, you know, oh, well, I feel like this would be right. And then change, well, now I feel like it'd be wrong. And I want to tell you, it produces instability. It produces a lot of negative things whenever we, our standards are inward uh, rather than based upon God, His Word, and His ways. And all through the book of Proverbs, especially, we see this all through the Word of God, but especially in the book of Proverbs, and especially as we look at the chapter 12 there's a lot of comparisons and if you'll notice we've already, we've seen a lot of comparisons between the wicked way and the good way the righteous and the good the 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 people who are uh living according to their own standards versus those who are living according to God's standards and the book of proverbs especially tonight it's going to tell us something about his standards. It's going to tell us about his ways. Now, as normal, since we left chapter 9, there's a lot of jumping around uh, about subject matter. But just like last week, we focused in on God's finances, principles of finances. That would seem to be a reoccurring theme. Uh, And the same thing... Today, I think there are some things that he wants to teach us about his standards. Uh, certain things that he, we, we need to learn about his standards uh, is a reoccurring theme. And we're going to look at those tonight. But first of all, let's take the first 14 verses of Proverbs chapter 12. and let's look at that. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. The Lord approves of those who are good. But he condemns those who plan wickedness. Wickedness never brings stability. But the godly have deep roots. I love that. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband. Come on, men. What do you say right there? Amen. Amen. But a disgraceful woman is like a cancer in his bones. Now, how many of you remember that great verse from last week? Anybody remember Proverbs eleven twenty two? Remember that powerful verse about women? A woman, <laughs> you're close, Nadine. A woman without discretion is like a pig with a gold ring in her snout. Now, where in the world the writer came up with a verse like that? I will have no idea, but he he always just seems to throw one verse in there about women uh and, and just you know he I, he threw in the pig snout last last chapter, and just decided to throw this one in i it, but i don 't know why he did that, but it 's true the first part, especially true, a worthy wife, oh my goodness well, it 's a crown for a husband, what a blessing what a What a proud thing it is to have a godly wife. Number five, the plans of the godly are just the advice of the wicked is treacherous. Interesting. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush. But the words of the godly save lives. The wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stand firm. Sensible person wins admiration, but a warped mind is despised. Better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be self-important but have no food. (laughs) Some wisdom there. We'll We'll be talking about that one. The godly care for their animals, but the wicked are always cruel. Interesting. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. And I'm going to ask you in a minute, what in the world does it mean to chase fantasies? Thieves are jealous of each other's loot, but the godly are well-rooted and bear their own fruit. They're not worried about what somebody else has. They're not worried about trying to get what somebody else has. They bear their own fruit. Thirteen, the wicked are trapped by their own words, but the godly escape such trouble. In other words, if you keep your mouth shut, you stay out of a lot of trouble. Wise words bring many benefits, and hard work brings rewards. Okay, we're going to look at uh, five areas, five things I believe that he's trying to focus in, and just trying to give us some godly standards and, and what they look like. And we want to talk about each one of those. Very first one, and that is God's standards are consistent. Consistent. And, again, that's, I don't know if you remember this, but from last week, I'm trying to think what what the passage was. Yeah, it was verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, the Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Remember that. But the same thought here, that is, that God's people and his standards are consistent. And in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, it says he likes constant, consistent weights, weights that are not switched back and forth to deceive. And so again, God is trying to tell us that his ways, his standards are not subjective. They're, they don't you know change by the whims and the, Uh, ideas and and things that are going on and and today everybody has this their own idea of what is right and wrong and primarily it's because they have not seen the consistency of God's word and and a couple of verses that tie that in and uh, we see it in verse 3 it says wickedness never brings stability but the godly have deep roots And then verse 12, similar to that, these are jealous of each other's loot, but the godly are well-rooted and bear their own fruit. Again, there's, and to me, when we have godly convictions that are based upon God's word, they're like deep roots that go down deep and they hold us steady. And that kind of made me think of uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. If we could look at that, it says, oh, the joy's of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. There's that deep roots consistency. We, we've dug our and allowed our roots to get way down into the river, into the water that courses underneath the ground, and we bear fruit in each season. Their leaves ne- ne- never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Notice the comparison there. The, the, those who are godly, they have deep roots, that are way down deep and are have planted themselves where they know there's living water. But what are, what is the ungodly here? It's like chaff. Everybody understand chaff? That's just the stuff that it's blown away when, whenever you are getting, you know, going through the process of cleaning wheat or even corn. Uh, if you've ever shucked corn and and, you know, all the stuff that you throw away, all the leaves that have no life to them, or if you've done whatever, you, whatever kind of fruit or vegetable, there's always that part that's no good, has nothing to it. But chaff is even the real lightweight stuff because it says in Matthew 12, it says the winnowing fan is in his hand blowing away the chaff and burning it away. So the idea is so dis- distinctly different. When your ways are according to his standards, then it's deep roots. But when you don't have godly standards, it's just like chat. And and that's the reason a lot of people are just being tossed around uh, like crazy. Um, let me ask you a question. I wrote this on your notes. How, how can we live a more consistent lifestyle? If God's standards... Ref, should reflect consistency. How can we live a more consistent lifestyle? Anybody wanna? Anybody? How can you? Yes, back up there again. Read the Bible, man. You can't hardly beat it. Because what you're doing is you're you, you're looking at the consistency of His Word. It never changes. So if we're reading and filling ourselves with His Word then that's going to have an impact in our life, should have an impact in our life. How else? Be more consistent. Penny? Having an accountability partner? partner. I like that. Yeah. And and if you're a woman, make sure it's a woman. (laughs) If it's your man, make sure it's a man, uh, unless it's your husband or wife. Uh, but I, I think having an accountability partner is a great, great idea. Just holding each other accountable. you know. And it's not judging each other all the time, but it's just helping each other to walk in God's ways. Robbie, wh- what do you think? How, how can we be more consistent? Say that again. Surround yourself with Christians. Uh yeah. You know and just a thought here. If you if you're a woman and all your girlfriends are divorcing their husband and that's all they talk about is how dissatisfied they are and how they're getting rid of their husband. You think that's not going to influence you? It will influence you. And you need to surround yourself with people who are godly people and who are not just in name Christians, because if you already figured out anybody can call themselves Christian, but people who are walking with God and who want the right thing And if you find a friend, someone in your life who has walked away from God, yes, I think they're still going to be an acquaintance, but you may have to limit the time you spend with them if you find them negatively influencing your life. I remember my wife uh, came home one day from a hair appointment. This was years ago. But she said, man, I am never going back to that woman again. Uh, just was one constant bad thing after the other. And she said, I felt unclean after hearing her talk about all the stuff she talked about. Uh, and supposedly she was a Christian. Uh, and I said, well, don't ever go back. Because, you know, you don't need your ears filled with all kinds of junk and filth Uh, especially if it's constant gossip about everybody and how everybody is, you know, that's just stuff we really don't even need in our life. So you have to limit who you're around. I like that idea if we want to be more consistent. It's good. Anybody else? Yes. Die to the flesh daily. Now, if somebody were to walk up to you and and say you know I I was in church the other day and there's this preacher said we need to die to our flesh daily and I have no idea what in the world that preacher's talking about what would you say because not everybody understands that Christian lingo uh huh. And, and so dying to the flesh would be along the lines of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and rejecting the voices that tell you to do the wrong things, uh, voices that, you're, that are telling you to do things that you know are not according to God's Word, but listening to the right voices. So yeah, I think dying to the flesh is a valid way but you've got to put meat on that and, and understand what that means and put that into practice. I like that too. Yes, Tony, what do you think? So... Making sure, I'm trying to make sure you're what you said. Say it one more time so i make sure I caught it. Okay. I, yeah, and I think that's easy to do, uh, to make decisions based on feelings and emotions, but you have to make your decisions based on, here's that standard again. There's the standard of God's Word, the standard of His ways, and if... His ways and His Word cuts against our old desires. We've got to make a decision. Here's this dying to the flesh. Now, you know, I want to do that, but it's really wrong. And your emotions may tell you to do that or you would like to do that, but the Holy Spirit is saying, no, no, no. And the Word of God says, no, no, no. Then you need to, again, listen to the Word of God versus your feelings or emotions. Because I want to tell you, your feelings and emotions, they will lead you astray. You know, you just, uh, you cannot count on your feelings and emotions because they go up, they go down. And Satan, he plays on our emotions. He twists and changes our emotions. And, and he knows that is a very susceptible area in our life. And so we have to really be careful with our, our emotions. Okay, uh, let's look at number two. God's standards show humility. Look at verse 9. I told you we'd look at this verse. Kind of an interesting way to phrase this. It um, says, verse 9, Better be an ordinary person with a servant than to be self-important but have no food. And the whole idea here is that you may think you're self-important and you give off the appearance of self-importance, but in reality, you'd be a whole lot better off just to be a normal, ordinary person. Uh, and, And the whole idea here of servant, you've got somebody working with you or somebody working for you, you're out there doing hard work, it's a whole lot better to do that than to try to give the impression you're really important. Y- y'all have been around w- w- name name droppers. Everybody know what name dropper is. They they love to tell you who they know. As if somehow that makes them important. Oh, yeah, I know so and so and I was with so and so now. They might have been with them, and and that other person that's so important might not know them from beans, but they want you to think that they know them, and they want you to think that they've been with them. And it's just that desire to impress people. So I'm going to have to ask you this question. Why in the world do we try and impress other people? do we do that? What was that? That's our flesh. Okay, that's one explanation, Penny. Why do we do this? Ah. We're looking validation to get some importance, a sense of importance from them. Uh, If they think I'm special and if they are impressed with me, then that somehow gives me a self-validation or that makes me feel like I'm important. Uh, And, you know, heres I worked with a guy one time uh, and he didn't know anything. He was close to one of the dumbest guys I've ever worked with. But I want to tell you, this whole time, he's always telling me what he knows. He's always trying to tell me, well, I know how to do it. And and he didn't know anything. And 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 a lot of things he was telling me, he was telling me was wrong because I knew how to do that. But he was just working so feverishly at trying to impress me with everything that he knew when he didn't know anything. And And I kept thinking to myself, Why are you doing this? Okay, Terry, you're going to tell us why? Interesting. An sense of insecurity, but it comes from the rejection, a sense of rejection. And, you know, you may be very close to the truth there because a lot of people do get rejected Uh, unfairly, especially when they're growing up. And that turns into a feeling, impression of uh, rejection. And then they want to make up for that by getting people to self-validate, give them validation. You know, a lot of times, if your daddy or your mama never... Told you how important you were, how special you were, how much you were loved and you were cared for, that God has a plan for your life. If you didn't hear that from mom and dad, there is a good chance you're going to work hard at trying to impress people, and it might lead you to drugs, alcohol, all kinds of addictions to try and impress people. To get some of that validation, to get some of that self importance. But the solution to that is that we have to come to a place in our life where our importance comes from Him. And it really doesn't matter what we think of one another or what you think of me or you think of, I think of you, or it really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is pleasing Him. And all of our Self-importance validation should come from him. And he has already stated he loves you. He cares for you. God has a plan for your life. He has already made it clear that he loves you. He loved you so much He sent his son to die on the cross for you. Everything about who God is tells us he cares about us. And so we have to... Stop getting our validation. I like that phrase. Stop getting our validation from people and get it from God. And he is graciously ready to give it to us. And here the verse here, he just just said, you know, you'd be a whole lot better off. And not only that, but you might be kicking yourself crazy trying to impress everybody else and have no food in the process. <laughs> Because it'll also end in poverty. That's a problem. Uh, God's standards reflect hard work. I agree with that. Look at verse 11, uh, verse 14. Both of them kind of say that. It says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. And wise words bring benefits, verse 14, and hard work brings reward. Okay, I've got to ask you, what in the world do you think it means by somebody who's chasing fantasies? What do you think, Harold? Donald. Uh, oh, 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 if I could, I, I would be one happy guy if I could just win the water. And it just has to be, it just happens to be right now, to, what, a half a billion, Or yeah, a half a billion dollars, $500 million. And there are all kinds of people chomping at the bit, trying to get that, thinking that would make them happy. You know, the truth of it is that would make them happy. They would know how to handle it anyway. It's really true. It's amazing how many people have won lotteries and lost it all. And and somebody's saying, well, I sure like to try, you know. Uh, the truth of it is, though, God loves it when you work consistently. You work hard because you get a sense of being who we were created to be, if you're following your gift and your calling and what you do, there's a great sense of finding your destiny and purpose in that. And people who chase these fantasies, oh, I'm going to strike it rich, that whole idea is if I get all this money, then I would be able to just sit around and drink lemonade in the Bahamas and 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 watch the clouds go by you you would be miserable you might like it for a few days but you would be miserable and so the truth of it is is that although the enemy dangles this this thing out here that this it is a fantasy and the idea here is that hard work working slowly but surely, saving your money, being a good steward of your finances, being a hard worker, being who God created you to be. And I always think about the fact that, you know, the people that, especially God's people, if they're a person who, have been, who has been given the gift of giving, and they're a godly person, I want to tell you, they will make money no matter what they do. It's true. They they just they just make money no matter what they do. Because they honor God and God blesses them and God uses them as a vessel to give to others and be a blessing to others. Thank God, you know, for people who are wealthy because those are the ones who give us jobs. That's where jobs come from. You know, there's this all this anti rich people and you know, Bernie Sanders was all, you know, oh, the richer, you know, putting it to us. And, you know, they ought to pay their fair share. And, and there's just this huge groundswell of mentality that life owes us certain things. And I want to tell you, God says we earn everything that we have. That's the way it's supposed to be. And we should never have the mentality that somebody else, that I have to take something from somebody else to get what I want. That that mentality should never be there. I should want to work hard and trust God to bless me, and then as God blesses me, then I can bless others. And that's what He wants. I believe You know, somebody asked my definition of prosperity. My definition of prosperity is enough to bless other people as well as take care of your own needs of your own family. That's prosperity. Having enough to take care of your own needs, your own family, and be able to bless other people. That's prosperity. And I believe God loves to prosper his people. But the chasing fantasies, it's just like Donald said. It's just that idea that... I'm going to strike it rich whether it's through gambling, through the lottery, or some other means. It's it's a fantasy. And much to be preferred is hard work. And we have to get away. You know, it's a little scary to me that Bernie Sanders got as much support as he did. It's scary to think that that many people in America have the idea that those who don't work should be entitled to all these things, even though they hadn't worked for them. That's a scary thought. You know, know, our founding fathers told us, you know, that democracy is a great thing, but the danger in democracy is when the majority, when the majority begins to rule and the majority begins to think that they can vote themselves all the benefits that are going to come from somebody who doesn't work. And so that's a real danger that we're teetering as a nation because we have to employ God's standard, God's ways, and His standards are He blesses us and He blesses us when we work hard. Uh, and and nobody owes me anything, you know. Uh, The government doesn't owe me anything, uh, and and rich people don't owe me anything. I thank God for the rich people. You know, I just pray that they are walking with God, and if they're walking with God, then most likely they are givers, and God uses them to bless other people. So the fourth thing I want to talk to you about or see in here, and that is God's standards leave a godly legacy. Both 7 and 8 kind of talk about this. It says in verse 7, it says, The wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. And very similar to it, a sensible person wins admiration, but a warped mind is despised. And all that has to do with... uh, what are people going to think about you when you're gone from this world? What, are the people gonna, what, what is the legacy that you're going to leave in this world? Think about it just for a moment. What is going to be said about you? What would God write on your tombstone? What would your friends write? He was a faithful friend. He loved God. You know, and you know, I find it difficult for young people to think of long-term legacy. They live so much in the today, um, and that I guess that kind of comes with uh, comes with being young. But the older you get, I want to tell you, the more you start thinking about your legacy. <laughs> the Close, the closer you get to this world coming to an end the more you think about what am I going to leave behind and I I guarantee you what will really count will not be anything to do with something tangible it won't be your house your land or anything else the things that you really want to leave your children a good name a godly heritage a good reputation um Taught your children the ways of the Lord, that you are a faithful friend to those that you cared about. You know that you were a good husband, a good wife. Those are the things that are a lasting legacy. And and, and kind of a follow up to that whole idea, um, what can you say to a young person to try and help them think uh, long term? And how can you get them, how can we get young people um, to think more along the terms of the legacy of their life? Anybody thoughts on that? Get rid of their cell phone. Boy, that'll do it. (laughs) I'm telling you, our kids have gotten obsessed with cell phones. It's... uh, It's almost becoming a disease. It really is, Terry. Oh, they'll love that. (laughs) They're gonna love the credit card fast. Uh, I don't know about that. If we could get them to do that, any thoughts of what can you say, Larry? Be more kingdom minded. Challenge. And to me, that to me is, is a great call that we have to challenge the young people. And, and, and what is a young person? How, how old do you have to be to be a young person? Uh, anybody under 65. Um, <laughs> somewhere around there, I don't know. But we all need to be challenged to be kingdom-minded. This is what matters in life, to be kingdom-minded, to think about the kingdom. How do you, uh, Brother Freddie, you're with young people all the time, Uh, teaching them basketball and and teaching them in class. What do you do to try and inspire them to think more long-term? Anything that you can think of? on how the age
1: you talk about, you talk in high school, um, you them the in a five year period. Say, for instance, here's a kid that may be fifteen. And said, Okay, back five years, when you Right? You, you, you think differently at 15, you get them to start role in the decisions that you're making right now mm-hmm. because if you don't get them to think about where they are and their decision or choices they're making it's almost like it's just they live from one day to the next yeah so we're constantly trying to get them to think back and then look at where they are and then try to use those same numbers to push them forward do you think you're going to have
0: a different outcome yeah, uh, looking at the yeah i like that that's good ben can you think of anything you you deal with uh Young people, young adults, college age, any thoughts on the way you help uh, to inspire them or uh, to, to cause them to be more kingdom minded? Yes. You know, one thing I think is one way to, uh, to do this, and that is to make people realize that our consequences are like seeds. They're like seeds. And that is you start sowing those bad choices. And for a little bit, it seems like no, no, no consequence. But all of a sudden, those seeds start coming up. And if you've sown a lot of bad choices, it starts, oh my, the reaping comes in. And that's a good opportunity right there to cause any person, any age, to say, think about your choices. If you want better things happening in your life, you need to start sowing better seeds because your choices with those consequences are like seeds. And you've got to plant good things in your life, and you will see good things come to pass. And there is a consequence for our wrong actions. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. some of the things you
1: have done, even your parents don't know, would you knowing about your knowing the
0: you to make, some decisions, I I want you to about what you just said. Yeah. Put yeah. yeah. It's true. That's exactly right. Number five, last one, last thing. I know there's some probably some other things in here, but these are the five things that I felt like the Lord wanted us to look at. Number five, God's standards are merciful. Merciful. Aren't you glad God's full of mercy? How many of you have had the opportunity to start over in your life? Twice? Three times? Four times. More times than you can count. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank God that he is a merciful God and that he, if he lives in you and you walk in his ways and his are your standards, we will be merciful. And, you know, that strange verse there, verse 10, the godly care for their animals. But the wicked are always cruel, have no mercy. And they have proven people who are cruel to animals are also cruel to people. They've proven that over and over and over. That if they torture and harm and kill animals, then they also have no regard of life for people. So why is that true? Say that again, Shane. Okay. Interesting. Anything else? Why why is there a tie in? Yes. Okay. That's possible. I'm looking for something else that I think is that ties together. Leah? I agree with that. We have to see that we are all created created by God, and and when we see value, our value has to come from being a creation of God. And if I see something as created from God, whether it's an animal or person, now people have a whole lot more valuable value than animals do. That's just a reality. The Bible actually tells us that animals were created as a source of food. That's what it tells us. So it's not like we're, you know, animal rights activists that are, uh, you know, getting all uptight about this because there is a plan and purpose. But at the same time, I think we have to see animals as precious in God's sight, something that he created just like he created us, and there's value there. And we have to have a basic value of life because life comes from God. And when we have that, then when we understand life comes from God and that we have been created in God's image, then we should be merciful toward people. We should be merciful to others. And I just want to say that God is amazingly merciful to us. Do you know he He uses us when we think we're not worth being used. We mess up in our life and we think, how could God ever use me again? And you know, the amazing thing is that he wants to use you. And the great thing about God's forgiveness is God's forgiveness is not second-rate forgiveness. It's not like God says, okay, I'm going to forgive you. But I don't really want to use you. I'm always going to remember what you did, but I'm going to forgive you. That's not God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is remove your sin as far as the East is from the West, and He loves you, and He cares for you, and He wants to use you, and He wants to restore you to be used. That is God's mercy. You know I love you know I know you've read this before I'd love to read it again and that is Psalm 139 verse 13 it says you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb thank you for making me so wonderfully complex your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it you watched me As I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Is that not amazing or what? Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Don't tell me God doesn't care about you. He loves you exceedingly. You know, it always just amazes me that God is a God who loved you before you were ever born. And had a, an amazing plan for your life. And, and I said this earlier just a little bit. And that is that God has a perfect plan for your life. That does not mean that you are going to follow that perfect plan. That's where free will choice comes in. But if you mess up the plan. Or here's the other thing. Other people can make terrible choices. And it will affect your life. But even whether it's through someone else's choices or whether it's your wrong choices, God still has a plan for your life. God is never caught at a place where God's thinking, oh, no, I don't know what I can do. I I just can't handle this. God is never at that point. He is always right there saying, I can use you. I can bless you. I can work with this situation. That's why he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, 27, 28, he says that he works all things for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. They see the calling of God according to his purpose for your life. If you see that and will walk in agreement with that, God will work All things, your messes, your mistakes, your good choices, your bad choices. He will work all those things into his plan for your life. And that's the amazing thing about God. And you say, well, how could God possibly know ahead of time my life? I have no idea. I don't know how he can do that. But when you're God, you can do amazing things. You know, it comes kind of with the territory of being God. Omniscient, omnipotent, all-present, all-powerful, but all-loving. And He loves you. He loves you. And God's standards teaches us mercy. And, you know, I was reading this today and just meditating on it and thinking about it how merciful God has been to me merciful to my family merciful to this church and so many friends and loved ones and people that I know here in the church think back all the things that happen in their life how God is merciful and I think you know we are so quick to judge sometimes (laughs) and we're so quick to give up on people But thank God he is not quick to give up on us. Thank God that he loves us, cares for us, and he is a merciful God. Amazing. So, how many of you would agree with me that God wants to be merciful to you? Now, here's the kicker. If you want God to be merciful to you, (laughs) you know where I'm going with this, huh? Because he says, if you will not forgive others, he's not going to forgive you. If you won't be merciful to others, he's not going to be merciful to you. Because we reap what we sow. So whenever I ask everybody here, if you want God to be merciful to you, everybody just about said, oh, yeah, I'll take that. But just remember the responsibility that comes with that. We have to be merciful to others. So are you willing to be merciful? Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Oh, gracious God. Hallelujah. Raise your hands to the Lord just as an act of surrender, an act of saying, Lord, you have my attention. Lord, with hands raised up, we declare that you are a merciful God, that you are a God of restoration, a God of healing, a God of forgiveness. And Lord, I ask you to help us to be merciful even as you are merciful, to be forgiving just like you are forgiving. Lord, that freely we have received and freely, Lord, we could give mercy and forgiveness to others. Lord, help us not to get overly focused on judging and condemning others. Lord, help us to be focused on being merciful and kind and loving Still holding on to your standards, still holding on to your ways and your commands, Lord. Never letting go of those. But, Lord, in the midst of those, teach us how to be merciful. Oh, God, we desire to walk in your standards in our life. Never abandoning or compromising your standards. Help us, Lord, to be people who are merciful and forgiving.